This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast as we record on a Friday morning. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue in with you. And one week later, Penn State head coach James Franklin publicly addressed the Big Ten's decision to postpone fall sports beyond 2020. We had been waiting on this conversation with James Franklin, had not heard anything, not a peep on social media, any kind of issued statements through the university about how he was reacting to the Big Ten's decision Kind of anticipated where this conversation was going to go. Um, Takeaway quote for me, extremely frustrated. That's the word that he used there. We heard frustrated used quite a bit uh, in his opening statement, which I'll hear in a moment, part of that. Um, But really, Sean, this comes down to a lack of clarity and the current absence of answers for a head coach who wants to be able to explain to his 100-plus players and coaching staff and their respective families what exactly is going on for the rest of this year. And I think that's the important thing to take away from it. Obviously, he's frustrated with with how this went down more so than why it went down, what went down in terms of, you know, I, I think I could see him on board with the decision if you took a little bit more time, if you were able to bring more people in on the decision and try and figure out just how things were working and what the what the what the thought process was really. And I think that's his that's the biggest sticking point from listening to him and you know he was animated. He was really I mean he was ready to go. A big opening statement, all that kind of stuff. And he was ready to 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 have an issue with the Big Ten. And you know that's again as we talked, that's not how the Big Ten's worked for a long, long time. And you see a lot of dissension from from schools around the conference, new schools in the conference, old schools in the conference, the big money makers in the conference, uh, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan as well. I mean, it's really, really interesting to watch these dynamics play out. And I, I mean, he's not the first one that's kind of expressed frustration with it. It certainly won't be the last. But yeah, it's just more about the the decision making process and the timing of it all. I'm sure like, you know, you got to weigh uh program care program caretaker versus football guy coach and i mean at the at the simplest level he wanted to get some practices in and that's what something that you know you're looking at the frustration that he has sort of reflected on that where you've got sec schools even if they don't play getting 20 practices in uh acc schools big 12 schools getting this work in that he's not going to get so you're kind of you know providing some sort of imbalance and that's the one thing when you listen to franklin talk about these things Never really a hard line on the issue per se, but the imbalance it creates, the questions it creates, the chain of react, or the chain of events that that causes reaction down the line is really what he's uh, you know circled on. And it's, and it's and it's nothing new, but at the same time, it's just a boiling over of frustration. And it is in August, September of 2020 that that he's spotlighting with these with these pointed comments and, and really throughout the, the, the press conference that we had on Wednesday with him, uh, it's more so 
what does this mean for fall 2021? What does this mean for going beyond 2021? Is the Big Ten going to be in a situation where they're trying to gain ground because of what was lost here over the course of, of these months in 2020? We still have a lot to learn about the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, and what their football fortunes will look like as we get into September and get closer to their kickoff dates. Remember, we're still uh, essentially a full month plus a few days away from, from actually seeing these teams play football. But you're right. Uh, you know, Franklin said, uh, the teams that they are competing with against nationally, and I think he means that not just to, for the college football playoff, but also recruiting. Uh, you know, they've got 20 more practices under their belt than Penn State um, between the spring and the summer, and that number is going to widen. That gap is going to, to grow between Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and, and some of these teams in the SEC, ACC, and, and Big 12 who are competing with them for recruits. And, and at the end of the day, in 2021 and 2022, are going to be competing you know, with them for spots in that college football playoff in major bowl games. Um, so I will say, um, you know, Franklin said, just to, just to double down on this, he didn't necessarily have any issue with the decision that was reached. And he has said since the beginning that uh, the economic impact and the football impact is huge, but you've got to put the, the human impact above both those things. He's been saying that on message since March. Uh, but when I think it gets to here, what he has an issue with was the process and the timing that the Big Ten approached it. And, and like Sandy Barber, no surprise here, Franklin said he's unclear how a decision was finalized, and, and we have seen players go through their social media initiatives and, 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 and expressing how they want to play in 2020. We have seen parents to diff, different degrees, whether it's uh, you know, Penn State issuing that letter, there several of their parents signing on that, or you've got parents today as we speak apparently heading to Indianapolis to have a peaceful protest at Kevin Warren's office at, at, at the Big Ten headquarters. Um, and, and then you've got Nebraska, I see last night, they, they have a group of parents who are threatening to sue uh, the Big Ten over this decision and the lack of clarity. Um, so a lot of different things going on there, but I think it's a different when you have a coach, one of the longest tenured coaches in the conference, a guy who already has a Big Ten championship trophy on his resume and is making you know $35 million over the course of his contract. Uh, this is a headliner for your conference, and he is coming out you know, and, and not holding back in his criticism of how this decision was reached. And, you know, to have this guy uh, against Big Ten leadership and, and what happened here, just like we've heard from other coaches in the conference, not meshing with what they have learned and, and, and not meshing with what they have been told to proceed into August and September to this point, uh, you know, that is startling to me. I never thought it wor would work out this way. I don't think we, we anticipated it would be a smooth and tidy decision if the Big Ten did pull the plug on football. But within a week to see James Franklin ha uh, have seven days to kind of sit and think about what he wanted to say and say, you know what, I I'm, I'm coming after the Big Ten here a bit because I have concerns and they need to be addressed and people need to know how I feel. And I think to him, just as important to, to getting that out there for his his own needs, it's it's the messaging is very important to the people who are counting on him to be that you know that program caretaker, as you said, the players, the parents, his staff, all the way down from highly paid coordinators to uh, the Gophers who are running around the practice field picking up water bottles. Everybody who invests so much time in this, I think that's really what this messaging came down to him, and ultimately the entire Penn State community because he is very aware of the economic impact that a lack of football in state college will have. And he and he takes a lot of that stuff personally in terms of and, and maybe he shouldn't, but at the same time, I mean, it's not his responsibility to be the economic stabilizing factor in state college and the surrounding community. But 
he takes that upon himself as as the football program as the big fish at Penn State. I mean, that's really what uh, what what he does. So um, it's uh, right or wrong. It's just how it happens, and and that's something that you know you have to. I I, I kind of commend him for because that's not his responsibility, but he's taking that upon himself to sort of not save the town, but you know a lot of businesses are going to really really hurt and eventually go under from this, and you know he's kind of taking that that one personally. But uh, beyond that, I mean, it's just uh, I expected him to address the situation at hand. I expected him to be fairly even keel and then eventually spin off into what he usually does by questioning decisions and questioning the decisions effect on other decisions. He didn't do, he didn't do that. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion in his voice throughout this call. Um, he was very, very, you know, cut and dry as, as far as which side of the issue he stood on. I wouldn't say, you know, he, he said he uh, did, I, I don't know the exact verbiage, but he said he agreed with the decision, but it's not like I come out and support the decision, right? He's, his phrasing was, I don't necessarily have an issue with the decision. I think it's probably important to note that phrasing. No doubt, no doubt. And it's not saying, you know, and I think he's he's a smart guy. He knew, you know, this could, this was eventually going to be the destination or this was eventually going to be a very real option, um, but never wants to give up football. He's a football coach. You know, he never wants to give up practice, never wants to give up time that he could be out, uh, you know, uh, improving his team, which he thought, by the way, was a really, really good team. So, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. uh, it's a lot of frustration boiling over. And, you know, it's nice to see some personality instead of just sort of the party line. I told you before this uh, this recording, to me, um, this is the most emotional I have seen James Franklin aside from immediately after that 2018 Ohio State game. Um, and everyone remembers those comments and, and, and his reaction there. This was a different uh, thing. I think he started off the, the call with his opening statements. There was a level of... You can hear in his voice def- deflation, and, and and James Franklin is not a guy who very often sounds deflated. You know, his job is is kind of to keep up the tempo, keep attacking each day, and, and trying to get that one and zero mentality. And that doesn't involve being deflated or, or getting hung up on issues. But it was a natural thing. This guy is a human after all, and you could hear in his voice the disappointment, um, just the the wear and tear of the emotions that he's been feeling. I'm sure not just for the last week since the t- decision came out. But for the last several months of, of having this uncertainty and not being able to give clear answers to his players and their parents. And, um, you know, what he pointed to as the most gut-wrenching part of this process was addressing it with the players once he learned that the Big Ten decision came through. And being able to, to do that uh, or having to do that without um, knowing all the components of, of what it means for them here in 2020 for their eligibility – all the concerns that are, are surely weighing on those players' minds right away. Um, here's, here's what Franklin said. Again, you'll hear the emotion here, but this is exactly how he started off his opening statement. It's about the first minute, and, and he gets into to what was really the, the most difficult ways to, to kind of digest this decision. Yeah, the announcement to postpone football was extremely disappointing. Witnessing the confusion on our guys' faces when I shared their news of postponement, um, last week was gut-wrenching. It is my responsibility to help our guys chase their dreams and delivering the news felt like I was doing the opposite. It felt like I was taking away their dream to play at Penn State, even if for some it's only temporary. We as a coaching staff and administration fought as hard as we could to fulfill the desires of our student athletes and their parents to play this fall. While I, while I appreciate the complexities and difficulties of this decision for the leaders of our conference, I'm extremely frustrated because we still have very few answers to communicate 
to our young men and their families about their futures and very little understanding of the factors contributing to the decisions. Beyond that, Franklin really felt like Penn State was doing a a strong, strong job with their preseason preparation for football. And and that goes back to June 8th when when you had the phase return and the players getting back to voluntary workouts. And and then all of a sudden you had the freshman class on board. And then all of a sudden you're in helmets and you get a few practices in. And and Franklin pointed to zero positive tests for the football program after that first week of practice. Um, In total, we also learned on Wednesday that Penn State administered 230 COVID-19 tests between August 5th and August 10th in conjunction with the end of that semester. Um, Sean, one total case was reported, sports unknown, but assuming Franklin is being open with us, it was not involving football. So 230 total tests, Penn State Athletics, one positive case uh, during that week of August 5th, August 10th, and none for the Penn State football program, uh, you know, about a week into their preseason practice when they get this news. This is something that you you could tell in his voice. This is where a lot of the frustration came from because everything that they were asked to do as a team, as really as as an athletic department with with the kids that they were bringing back, the the position they were putting them in, everything they did, they did right. And even if you do everything right, you just kind of uh, just rip the tablecloth out from underneath of you. And that's, that's where the frustration comes in. You got guys that were, you know, they, they had a couple positive tests over the summer in terms of the athletic department, not necessarily the football program, but they had nothing and they were doing everything the right way. And it was just all trending in a positive direction from that aspect, from a, from what you can control. And that's a big thing that he's always talked about controlling what you can control they did a pretty good job controlling it, and that's uh, that's got to be frustrating because you you know you can do you could have done everything right, and then all of a sudden just to take it away, you're standing there with your hands up in the air saying what what do we got to do here? I mean we we did what we were asked, and and you know it, this is always what has been kind of puzzling to me about the the process of trying to get to a football season at the college level because you ultimately at the end of the day you're hip to hip with all your conference members. I mean, Penn State's got to worry about what's going on on 13 different campuses across the country. You had Rutgers shut down. You had programs like Maryland and and, and Michigan State and Indiana and Ohio State, all at different points, Northwestern, all at different points, have to push pause on their preseason workouts because of COVID-19 cases. I think there was a false positive at Northwestern. But nonetheless, uh, you you really are reliant upon getting your conference, you uh, you know, kind of to the finish line with you because I don't know how it doesn't work otherwise. And that's kind of what I keep going back to the SEC, ACC, Big Big 12. You know, everyone's going to want to focus in on Alabama and Georgia and Florida and Texas and Clemson. But you could have one of the weaker teams in any of those conferences have some kind of flare-up and it just have a dramatic domino effect on what you're capable of doing collectively as a conference depending on when they came in contact with another opponent, who they have ahead on their schedule. And that could spell disaster. It's something that we're not going to see the Big Ten encounter here in 2020. But it's yet another reason why uh, it was going to be tough for the Big Ten to pull off, and it was going to be tough to, for any other conferences to pull off, because it, you can do a great job within your incubated environment on your campus, but you've got to rely upon that process being replicated over and over and over again within your conference, because you're going conference only. You take away those teams, you don't have much of a semblance of any schedule. And right on schedule, Vanderbilt has canceled its practice for today after multiple tests. And, and I mean... Nobody's crying for Vanderbilt in the SEC. That's I mean, exactly you, you, the kind of program that I was, exa- thinking, I was mentioning. That's ex- yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's crazy to think that how that has turned at some spots. And 
how they're going to handle that because, I mean, you you obviously want – if you're in the SEC, if you're an SEC president, especially in the bottom half of that conference, you want everybody treated equal. If you're Alabama, you want everybody you know to be below you, and that's kind of how things have worked in that conference, and that's kind of probably why they're still alive and kicking and trying to head toward a season. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a tough scenario, uh, you know. You mentioned Rutgers shutting down. I mean, it's kind of the same situation. Uh, we'll, we'll see if the SEC follows suit. I, st- I still think they do. I still think you get to that direction and you get to that, uh, you know, but it, it might take a little bit longer. And like I said, you look a lot better. And, and, and this is strictly my opinion. You look a lot better if you're Greg Sankey and you get two weeks from now and say, hey, we did everything we could. We tried as hard as we could. We did everything and it didn't work. And I think everybody will be a lot nicer to them than they will be to the Big Ten commissioner and the Big Ten office, the way that they handled things. Uh, the Big Ten stuck out its chin with this decision. They, they knew it. They knew that they if they were going to be the first to, to, to pull the plug and, you know, all due respect to the MAC conference, the Big Ten's on a different level here, be the first Power Five conference to step away from football in 2020. You know you're sticking your chin out for, for punches. And they have taken them, and they were not ready to, to roll this out because they weren't ready for the response. I mean, it just – for all the PR strategic people that this Big Ten conference must employ, I don't know how it got to this point where they made a decision of this magnitude, officially announced it, and then nine days later we are now, you still have all these different question marks that are being sorted through. It's a, it's a tough process, and you're right. The SEC, if they make it into the second week of September and, and it becomes apparent it's not going to work – they got a lot of practices under their belt. Those freshmen kind of got some acclimation to what life is like on a college field, what competition is like, what the expectations are. Um, so that's that's a that's a leg up for your young young crop of talent. And additionally, I I do wonder. Um, you know, they can point to health and player safety. They can say, hey, we didn't think it was safe. Now, if you go and play games, and and, and despite all those things, then you're raising your yourself up to some serious questions about. Uh, ethics and, and, and what you're doing as a conference. If you've got different teams across your conference battling serious outbreaks and, and, and then you're still trying to move forward with games and, and it's transparently not a good thing to do and, and wrong for your student athletes, that's where you could worry about reputation. But the SEC, to me, doesn't have much to lose uh, in the next couple of weeks um, as long as they take the strategy of if it gets if it gets too bad, we have to know when to draw the line and pull the plug. My wondering is, though, we have talked about teams like Nebraska, Ohio State, a bit on the Penn State side as well, um, wanting to find ways to play football here in 2020, even if the Big Ten is, is not going to play. Now, that's been pretty much extinguished now in the past week and a half, but you know, even entering this week, Sean, we were hearing about programs trying to piece together some kind of 2020 season, get on the field regardless of what the Big Ten decided to do collectively. What happens if they're about two, three weeks away from scheduled kickoff in these different conferences, they pull the plug, um, I tell you what, I don't think the Alabamas, LSUs, and Georgias, and Clemsons of the world are going to say, okay, we'll go sit down. At least we got a month of practice. Who knows? Who knows what could happen if those conferences pull the plug? I still think there's a chance you're going to see uh, some some programs try to, 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 to make a case for continuing playing, but at some point – uh, what are you doing? I mean, at some point, what are you doing, and 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 how do you how do you kind of equate that to to being on par with the rest of college football going into 2021? If you got some teams trying to compete at, at, in 2020 and everybody else going to the sideline, that's something to be addressed in the next few weeks. But you know, Franklin's frustration is he's watching that all unfold without really having the opportunity uh, to get far down that path with his Penn State team and 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 Sean. His comment, he said, it was working. 
He said it a few times, but one time he, he really raised his voice in saying it was working, what their process was with the protocols for COVID-19 at Penn State. And it was the most I heard, you know, it, 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 kind of the emotions in his voice is when he said that it was working. And this is what he, you know, this is kind of what it comes down to. He got to see his team on the field together for a few days. Micah Parsons wasn't out there, as we know. But the what-ifs are going to hunt a lot of Penn State football fans. I don't think they're going to hunt anybody as much as James Franklin because he recruited this team, he coached up this team, he got his staff in place, and he got to see them on the field for just a few days. Listen to these comments. We had a chance to be pretty good. I think we're, we're preseason ranked inside the, the, the top 10 on almost everybody's chart. And, um, you know, we were standing out there those first couple days of practice, and I'm looking around, and, and we got a good-looking team. You know, we're big, we're long, we're lean. Um, you know, we got a bunch of guys that are over 300 pounds that look like they're two, 270, 260. You know, we're fast, we're athletic. Yeah, so, you know, and then we had difference makers on, on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, is that is that part of it that you felt like this season uh, had had the opportunity or had the chance, not guaranteed, but had the opportunity and, and had the chance to be a special season for, for Penn State? Yes. Yes. So that's that's part of the frustration. Franklin making reference to some of the preseason rankings there. Penn State was number five in the 24-7 sports preseason poll. Um, they were number seven in the initial coaches poll. Um, and, and this is a program that finished top 10 in the AP poll for three of the last four years, uh, the first such span for Penn State since the mid-90s. So clearly uh, Franklin saw what was coming around the corner here in 2020, and, and it wasn't a surprise to him considering all the, the efforts that went into building this roster out and getting it in a good spot uh, to, to compete this year. And, um, you know, that, that's hard to hear for any coach. And, and you, I think anybody can, can kind of empathize with, with Franklin's comments there. Well, the, the big thing, uh, big and small, you're talking about uh, they did everything right. It was working, all that kind of stuff. You think about uh, the, the tests and, and getting everybody healthy on campus and getting into to camp and not having a single positive test in the first week of camp. That's a big deal. You look at the big picture, and God, I mean, what what else has to happen here? You got Micah Parsons, who you brought in. Obviously, you know he's a, he's an unworldly talent, but they had him on the track that they absolutely needed him on. And I know everybody's gonna, you know, now that we're not going to see him again, is going to revert back to his freshman year and not be, you know, splitting reps with Koa Farmer and not being able to see him. That was all part of their process for him. Six year process to get to this point. And it and it Six just year process with Parsons. blows up in your face for reasons, you know, you couldn't see this one coming. And, and I, th- I still think he would have played this fall if that would have happened and or if this if, if all this wouldn't have happened. And, you know, just they did everything right. You get Pat, Pat Fryermith for two years. Obviously you dodge a bullet by him not entering the draft last year, which, you know, now in hindsight, that's got to suck, you know, seeing seeing his season go away when he could be playing in the pros. And it's just like everything that they do, it just keeps coming back to it. And it's just, I mean, it, the frustration has been bubbling up for James Franklin for a while with this, with the shutdown and everything, but it just keeps coming. And, the, you know, it's just how many blows can you take when you're talking about something just happening over and over again? It's, it's insane. Sometimes in those situations, there's only really one solution. It's it's to it's to get with those people that you love, spend some time away from the situation, and, and try to get your head right. At least try to gain some perspective uh, away from the football field. And Franklin went right to that, Sean. You know, he we had talked about this uh, entering the summer how he was going to spend this time away from his family. 
Um, his daughter is of high risk in this situation. Um, and at the end of the day, they were going to be separate for the whole season, and, and not just the season, the preseason, uh, whatever you have in between the regular season and, and, and your bowls or a playoff. You're looking at half a year away from a family in a pandemic situation. That had to be weighing on Franklin. He's a guy who typically has his daughters in the office. We see them on the practice field. Um, and, and, you know, lives right around the corner. So it's, it's easy to get home if you need to. And what he did, he got in his car, and, and they weren't just separate in terms of I'll stay in the office and you stay at home. They were in a different state down south, Sean. So once he gives this news to the team, once he does what he has to do on campus, the way he explains it, pretty much was walked out to his car in the parking lot, turned it on, and drove south. That sounds right. That sounds like James Franklin. Uh, it's uh, it's really uh, the the sacrifice that he was making for his family to. I mean, the the, the personal sacrifice, the family sacrifice uh, to to get his daughter out of town for obvious reasons, and to keep him away or to keep Franklin away from her, just because of the, the the people that he would come in contact with, the number of people that he would come in contact with. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big personal sacrifice, a big family sacrifice. And, you know, I get the frustration. I get that. And then just, you know, that's probably the same thing I would do. I would want to see my family as soon as possible. And, you know, that's, uh, that's probably a long drive for him. Uh, a lot of, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe listen to the podcast on the way down. It's hard to say, but, uh, <laughs> long drive for him, a lot of time to fill, a lot of thinking to do. And I think you saw that reflected in his availability this week. Yeah, well, we do appreciate the availability. We were wondering when we get a chance to speak with Franklin. We got him and Sandy Barber. If you missed our earlier episode on Tuesday, uh, some takeaways from the Sandy Barber conversation and kind of leaving us perplexed on a Penn State's athletic director uh, seemingly being entirely out of the loop when a decision was finalized uh, to postpone the fall sports season. Uh, that went up on Tuesday. Um, Sean, we'll turn attention next week, I think. Uh, Give us a few more days to try to gather some of these reports and and see what may be in place. But we're hearing January kickoff, maybe. Maybe some kind of preseason ramp up at at some point this fall. And then a slate of Big Ten games in January, February, maybe into March, being in different hubs with domes in the Midwest. There's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of reports, so I don't want to dive into that conversation now. I think it's something we can probably tease to our audience for next week, but we still got a lot to learn, and who knows? D- Detroit in January sounds fine with me if I'm watching college football being played. I, I was going to say, I'm going to send you to Detroit for the entire month to cover it, get in the bubble or do whatever you, you have to do. I'll be on the bubble beat. I will, I will stay there as long as we're covering football and talking about football. Uh, I'll do what I have to do. There's so much that you can speculate in terms of what they can do. But yeah, that does seem like the next realistic window. And and Franklin kind of laid that out there in terms of what they were looking at. I mean, you think spring season and you think, you know, starting in March or something like that. But that I don't think that's feasible. I think January, if you can do it, and I, I'm not highly confident that they can do it. But if you do it, you want to start it as soon as possible and get it as controlled as possible. And I know the the, the semester break is one thing and eventually spring break will be another thing. But I mean, that's you get you have to explore all these opportunities considering how much money you're losing as a conference as a university you have to explore pretty much everything and that's another thing that the big 10 really didn't think about when you're talking about making a decision this quickly in terms of what are the other options what are you laying out there what's your contingency plan if this doesn't work and obviously the contingency plan of moving things back to what that third saturday in september blew right by that made the decision to cancel it it's just it's just so much, so many frustrating ways that this could have gone. And really, they're just hitting on all cylinders when you consider that. I mean, the Big Ten, as it stands right now, 
kind of went with the approach. Uh, if you're the smartest person in a room, people notice that. People respect that. If you tell everybody you're the smartest person in the room, that's when people go the wrong way, you know, go go a different direction. And I think that's really what's happening to the Big Ten. They they acted like they were smarter. They let people know that they were smarter, and people just don't handle that situation very well and say, well, you're kind of a, kind of a jerk, man. And for the 20th time, Sean and I have said, we get the why part of this, and we understand that we've all been bracing for this throughout the offseason since March for this possibility and understanding why that might happen. But the how is the one that continues to, to, to just take you down a different path than how you view Big Ten. And you just wonder if they were to roll out that, this decision along with some kind of structured plan for what the rest of the fall was going to look like for student-athletes, what maybe could await uh, for the football season in an early 2021 scenario, rather than kind of just, I mean, it was really just one sentence in that initial Big Ten statement about, like, leaving the door open for spring 2021 competition. There was no detail aside from that. So, to, to again, to deliver this kind of a devastating gut punch um, and then not really help the help the person off the floor, help these players off the floor with some guidance on what's next. You're just leaving people, you know, rubbing their wounds and being pissed at you, and that's really what it feels like. That's exactly what it feels like. And you, <laughs> every day that passes, you just continue to get a little bit more of that. So crazy, man, crazy. So so fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, we're gonna we're gonna shift gears to recruiting right around the corner. As we said, we hope to gather more information on the possibility for a winter slash spring football campaign and bring that to you next week. Maybe bring on an expert who's covering this stuff a bit more than we are to talk about some of these scenarios. Um, but in terms of, uh, of Penn State and, and where things stand, don't expect football in 2020. Franklin, Barber both confirming that. And we're on standby mode now for what's next uh, in the fall and, and ultimately what's next for football in 2021. Stay with us. Recruiting conversations, uh, some upcoming commitments to touch on, a top five list that features Penn State, and a quarterback on the move. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Recruiting rundown time here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, and there's a commitment on Saturday. Penn State, a big factor along the way for Kelvin Gilliam, but the crystal ball squarely uh, in favor of the Oklahoma Sooners now, a four-star defensive lineman uh, out of Virginia Highland Springs High School. and uh, He did get to campus in January with Penn State, has never been to campus with Oklahoma. We've covered this recruitment pretty closely. I spoke with him in late July once he announced his August 22nd commitment timeline, and at that stage said he set the decision and was going to work from there. There was, you know, Texas, Florida were some of the teams that were mentioned, but really felt like Oklahoma versus Penn State here. Um, and, and Steve Wolfong initially cast a crystal ball uh, within days of that conversation I had with Gilliam in favor of the Nittany Lions. He has since switched that to the Sooners, 100% pointing toward Oklahoma. So we're not here to deliver good news on Kelvin Gilliam, but I want you to leave the door open a bit because as we discussed on last I spoke with him, he said regardless of where he's committing, 
if official visits are back on the table, he's using them because he's, he deserves them. He, he does. And that, and that's something, you know, another decision in the 2021 uh, cycle where you take the logical points and where you've been and all that kind of stuff and kind of throw it out the window. And that's where we're kind of sitting with Kelvin Gilliam. I, I do agree with you. I think he's headed for Oklahoma. Um, but he did tell you that if official visits are on the table, he wants to check out other schools. And, you know, he hasn't been able to visit anywhere, I think, since February and hasn't been able to uh, – to, to go anywhere, you know, officially, unofficially, no matter what. And that, that sort of makes a big difference. So never been to Oklahoma. I just, I can't comprehend it. And that's not a shot at Oklahoma or anything like that, but going halfway across the country to a place you've never been before is interesting to say that. And he's not the first person that we've seen do that. So, uh, and he wouldn't be the first Highland Springs senior to do that. Damon Harmon, DeMond Harmon yeah, his he's, teammate, he's, uh, who also had Penn State in his top group and had never visited Penn State either. He committed to Oklahoma on August 1st without ever checking out that campus. And as we discussed before, if you're a kid going from the Mid-Atlantic or, or Northeast or what have you and going to Norman, Oklahoma, I just don't know how you can really anticipate what that lifestyle is going to be, regardless of all the virtual tours or, or you know, sitting alongside Lincoln Riley in a golf cart while he drives you around campus and you're in an iPhone. I just don't know how you can wrap your head around what you actually are getting into. Yeah, and sometimes the that information there's too much information, too much good things that you can take out of visits and that kind of clouds your judgment. Now it's kind of the opposite. You don't you don't get any of that and you know, maybe maybe that'll work for some people, maybe not. It it's it's just interesting to me that a situation like Davon Townley, defensive end from Minnesota, has never visited a school, never, you know, hasn't even taken an unofficial to, to Minnesota, I believe. And, you know, I just have a hard time seeing him coming to a place like Penn State that's so far away, never been here, you know, just done the virtual tours and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's mind boggling to think that that's a possibility in this day and age to, to commit to a school, to go to a school, um, to commit your next several years, because I mean, that's a, that's a life altering decision right there, whether you hit on it, whether you miss on it. I mean, we've seen guys that have gone places that, you know, we thought were going to be really good players and, you know, they get into a system and it doesn't work out for them. And then all of a sudden their careers is, you know, over. And it's just, it's really crazy to think about making this decision with the lack of information that you have, or at least the lack of feel. I think, like I said before, you get, you get to Penn state, you get to a place like, you know, Clemson or something like that. And you get this feeling, you know, you're, you're sort of taking a big part of that recruitment out when you take away that, that, that opportunity to visit. And that's, it's kind of where you fell with Gilliam. And uh, he, he did visit once with Penn state January. Uh, he was up for a junior day and, Sean Spencer was the defensive line coach at that point. Mm -hmm. So how much do you get out of that visit? How much can you sort of retain from that visit, especially if you, you know, if you were going to play for John Scott Jr. instead of Sean Spencer? You know, John Scott Jr. going back to South Carolina, you know, that's a nice thing to have in place for Penn State. He was on your campus for one day, but that's more of a starting point. You know, that, that sets up the rest of the process. We talked about this before recording where, you know, he seems to fit the mold of, of the kind of kid who ends up at Penn State, uh, just personality-wise. Uh, there's a lot of things seem to line up right for the he's, Nittany Lions. He's We're the kid that comes kid. to the blue-white game. He's the kid that comes to the lash exactly. bash and, you know, yeah, exactly. stuff like that. I think like that's that. where yeah. you, you go from his junior day visit, and it was with Sean Spencer, so you get him back on campus maybe for the blue-white game, and then he gets a chance to really, him and his family can really get into an intimate conversation with John Scott at some point and, and with other coaches and and then you get and you know if that's not enough to convince him you do a, a spring official visit and remember he was locked in to take a an official visit to, to Penn State during that spring window and then he gets to the end of that maybe he's ready to make an informed decision maybe it's not Penn State maybe he was, was out and about fell in love with somewhere else but it certainly feels like one where the pandemic 
particularly impacted Penn State here, um, which is, you know, it, it is what it is. You, it's going to work both ways. Now, let's not forget they got a top 10 tight end in the 2022 class in the last week of July, Jerry Cross, who has never been to State College. Um, so, you know, they picked up one who has never been here, and I'm sure uh, a school like Wisconsin is wondering, how does this work? How do we lose one of the top towns from the state, kid from Milwaukee, to Penn State without him ever setting foot on campus? So there's a lot of different angles to, to, to kind of dive into the impact here and committing with no visits. But, again, I wouldn't close the door on Gilliam as much as I would with some of the other targets who have committed elsewhere or left Penn State off their top schools list because it's clear he was very high on the Nittany Lions. I'm going to, to make an assumption that they were the, the, the team left uh, you know, on the doorstep here behind Oklahoma, which leads me to believe that if there are official visits able to occur, this kid's going to leap on one and, and he's going to be in Happy Valley. And, and you're going to see Penn State, you know, if official visits are are able to take place, which be interesting to, to see if, if there's not a season kind of makes it safer for for those visits to happen so the the dead period right now is running through the end of september so maybe there's a situation where official visits happen i'm not completely confident in that but i can see the argument being made for that being a safer alternative if you don't have football if you don't have all those guys in the building and all the time so i i could see part of that working but yeah i mean it's going to be interesting to see by december i mean because that 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 date i don't think is moving and and we've discussed this before there's really no reason to move that date in december um you know if, if that comes to uh to fruition then that's that's kind of where we're going down that way now on the flip side you know speaking of the flip side you're, you're talking about looking at, yeah i appreciate that uh we're talking about looking at, uh, at other teams commit lists and maybe uh, eventually saying hey you're out of the area. You haven't been able to visit anywhere. Can you visit this place or can you take an official in November or whatever? Uh, a prime example of that Nebraska edge rusher would be a defensive end for Penn State. Patrick Payton from Miami is a guy that Jay Wan Sider has been on for a long, long time. Uh, Penn State, Florida State trying to flip him right now. And it, it's, it's interesting because you look at the dynamic of what Nebraska has been able to do. They've had a ton of recruiting success in South Florida, but they've also, in the last 12 months, some of those wheels have come off because you've had guys that have gone, Henry Gray, uh, a couple other guys that have gone to Nebraska from South Florida have all of a sudden transferred back to FAU, have transferred back to UCF, and it's really hasn't worked out as well as you would hope. So maybe a little bit of that luster has worn off when you talk about South Florida kids going to Nebraska, which, you know, is a funny statement in itself. Um, but we're talking about central Pennsylvania here. So it's, it's, it's not all that different. Um, so Patrick Payton's a name that you need to keep on the radar as a Penn State fan, as a guy that they've been in contact with longer than you would think. We, we brought him up in our chat this week. We brought him up uh, a little bit earlier this month when he got his official offer. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's a guy that they've really made some headway with and, and, Will it take an official visit to flip him? It's hard to say. I mean, he's, I think he's been to Nebraska before, uh, before any of this uh, all went down. So will that take an official visit to get him? It's hard to say, but they're, uh, they've, they've really ramped up the intensity on that one. Yeah. This story surfaced from, from Andrew right, right as we were getting onto to the podcast. So, um, did a little bit of homework before, while you were talking here. And, and at six foot five, 205, certainly a kid who's going to need to pack on pounds, but, had a hell of a junior year last year, Sean. 18 sacks on the season. Uh, he had five sacks against Miami Columbus. They ended up winning the state championship last year. 
They're not bad. They won yeah. a state championship, uh, but they gave up five sacks to this kid. Now he's a three star. Um, again, uh, we're talking about six foot five, two hundred five. He's listed, so you know there's going to need to be growth there. Um, but I, you know this is the kind of guy that you know a lot of a lot of length off the perimeter like this. The Rodney McGraw, who they flipped from Indiana, uh, a player who's heavier at this point, but also that length, and, and I think he's six foot five plus. But right now, that that's all you really got. And Kelvin Gilliam was going to be projected to play inside. I think he's listed as a defensive end in twenty four seven sports rankings. But there's still significant work to do on the defensive front here in this recruiting cycle, it feels like. And, you know, you wonder if new names are going to surface. This qualifies as that. Um, locally, I don't think that's materialized, as we thought, within this region with other defensive line targets, at least not yet. But here we go. Patrick Payton's an interesting one. And one thing I do wonder here as we sit and record this, Sean, on August 21st is Payton looking at a school like Florida State, also with Penn State. Gilliam looking at Oklahoma, also with Penn State. If Florida State and Oklahoma are playing football this fall, they've got opportunities to generate some positive buzz. Penn State does not have an opportunity to generate on-field buzz this fall. See if that changes and goes out the window for schools like Florida State and Oklahoma and some of the other teams that Penn State's competing with for recruits. But it's something to keep an eye on in recruiting right now is, you know, there's something to be said for that in-season buzz that you get. Uh, a nationally televised win can do a lot for you, and there will be nationally televised nothing for Penn State on the football field in 2020. I mean, it's visibility and it's it's out of sight, out of mind if you're Penn State and it's right right there on your TV if they do end up playing if you're Oklahoma and you're Florida State. So it's uh, it's certainly something that Penn State and and all the Big Ten schools and the back Pac-12 schools will have to deal with. I mean, you're not even you're not even really thinking about those guys on Saturdays. So that's that's tough. Going back to Patrick Payton. I don't care about the weight. Uh, two hundred five is fine. Uh, that's what Adisa Isaac was at this point in his in his in in his recruitment. Hard to remember. That. So, I mean, that's 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 hard to think about now. <laughs> it, it is, and he's two hundred forty five, two hundred fifty some pounds. I, I could be shortchanging him there. Uh, I don't have a roster in front of me, but yes, he's much much bigger now, and it's only been a year and a half. So um, don't care about the weight. The weights, honestly, the weights at a lot of positions don't mean as much as the frame. They don't mean as much oh, yeah. as some of the the agility. And so 205-pound defensive end is perfectly fine. You look at George Wilson, who went to, to South Carolina, was one of those guys that Penn State targeted heavily. He's 6'4 and a half, 205. So um, they, they would rather build him up than than bring in a guy that's 265 pounds right now. I mean, you look at, uh, uh, you know, Amin Vanover may be a very good player at Penn State, but, you know, he came in 275, 280 pounds. So, you know, his defensive end days were over before they started. Now all of a sudden you're looking at D tackle and, and then that's what they were looking for, uh, you know, eventually anyway. But still, I mean, you 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 saw him play defensive end in high school. Um, going back to to Patrick Payton, six five, two hundred five pounds. I watched this film a couple of weeks ago. Very pleasantly surprised. You expect a guy like that to be. Um, you know, a wacky inflatable arm guy at a, a car dealership. He's gangly. got all that length. And <laughs> he's just gangly and all that kind of stuff. And really wasn't seven, what, 17 or 18 sacks at the yeah. high school level. You don't expect that kind of production from a guy that's really just a, an edge project. So I, I really encouraged with what I saw. You said he's a three star. He's an 89 three star by 24 seven sports, which is right on the cusp of being a four star. Guys I've talked to down there like him a lot, and it'll be an interesting one moving forward because I think he's a, you know, he's a real potential flip. 
We will see. Uh, Nebraska is another team that's going to be unable to generate that kind of buzz this fall too. So they're going to face a battle here, I think, keeping a kid from well, from well, South Nebraska's, Florida. Ne- Nebraska's staying in the headlines. I mean, let's yeah, be honest well. with you. Every other day, <laughs> no the parents or somebody from Nebraska is not happy. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's a different kind of headline. It's not really the uh, recruit generating headline that you that you want to see from those guys. No, no, no. Um, now we do have uh, some 2022 recruiting news to get to. It's been a cycle that has moved fast for Penn State. Uh, one of only three teams with four or more commitments on board at this stage of the cycle. A lot of that happened, uh, it, all of it happened in a 19-day span uh, in late July, early August. And, and another name to know here out of Philadelphia, Anthony Johnson, uh, Newman Garetti High School, a top 10 inside linebacker prospect in 24-7 sports rankings, comes out with a top five on Thursday afternoon. Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, Texas A&M, Rutgers. Every, you know, all those teams, teams seem about the same to me, Sean. National powers, including the birthplace of college football, obviously a, 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 note, a nod to history there. Um, really interesting. I've, I've still got some more digging to do on this one. Uh, I, I don't buy Ohio State because Ohio State's kind of loaded up at linebacker already in the 2022 class. Alabama, it's hard to say how much contact they've been in because they offer everyone. And then, you know, there's varying degrees of contact and things like that. Penn State's been on it. Like I said, this has been a guy that they target. I believe they offered him as a freshman. And it's a guy that they've had on their target board for a long time. I don't know that he's progressed the way that, you know, you thought that he might be a top five linebacker in this class. Um, it's still a lot to learn. I, I think he's an inside guy, which obviously when you talk about Penn State's linebacker recruiting sort of takes down that value in terms of what they can do and the versatility that they may have. So this this top five, maybe not as meets the eye. And I think Rutgers might be in it more than than you would think in conventional wisdom. Of course, Elijah Robinson, a former Penn State player, is down at Texas A&M and staying, uh, keeping a presence in that area. So just a really interesting thing. He says he's committing soon. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the path for this one. So we'll see what happens with Anthony Johnson. Really good player. And I, I don't mean to, to dog him or anything like that, but really good player. But in terms of uh, projection and things like that, there you know there might be some other guys higher on the board. We've got a story up on the site from that announcement. Uh, I had one up kind of where his Penn State recruitment has, has evolved to this point. Sean, you mentioned this. He got offered as a freshman back in January 2019. Um, and additionally, um, Brian Doan caught up with him, so, so he's got some direct insight uh, from Anthony Johnson up on lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. Um, and reminder, we, we talked about this last episode, Philadelphia, a lot of focus in on there for Penn State in the 2022 class. Um, you're waiting for an announcement from edge rusher Ken Talley uh, coming on September 8th, and he put out a top list last week with Penn State in that mix as well. Uh, they are currently trending for the crystal ball pick. For him, another four-star defender out of Philadelphia. No defensive players on board yet with the 2022 class. They do have a quarterback on board, though, Sean, with Bo Perbula joining the class. Um, uh, in-state QB, first time in a long time that has happened. Another name we have discussed quite a bit at the quarterback spot for 2022 is Braden Davis, um, a, a kid out of Delaware. Uh, I thought he really lit it up last year at Nittany Lions camp, got an offer before his sophomore year of high school. Uh, he is reacting to no high school football in Delaware with a with a pretty calculated move. I, I don't I read the details here from I think it was Brian Doan put a story up. He's going all the way to Lake Mineola High School near Orlando, Florida. Um, already kind of wondered how Bo Perbula factored into to this recruitment with Penn State. Now really wonder how things factor into this recruitment with Penn State. Um, Bo said he, he doesn't know where things stand in a two-quarterback class. It's very early. He's got a lot to prove himself. But well, this has been one of the earliest names that surfaced for us to, on the quarterback radar uh, with the 2022 class. 
You know, I feel confident if they do go the two quarterback route, I don't think it's Braden Davis. I don't think Penn, I don't think he ends up Penn State. I, I think that there's been, you know, things that have drawn him southward and obviously he's moving down there. So I think it's going to open up some doors for him down there. And I just don't, I don't see it. So, um, I don't want to completely write it off, but, uh, that's kind of where I see Penn State sort of in the outside looking in to begin with. And then you, you add a quarterback, adding a quarterback to the class, especially at this point kind of changes the dynamic, not just with Davis, but with other quarterbacks out there. Um, the, the perception of a two quarterback class. Yeah. Everybody says they want to compete and everything like that, but it's going to be a deterrent for some guys. And, and especially if you can't, get in and, and, you know, get onto campus with Kirk Shirock and sit down and watch film and, and sort of grow the relationship personally. I think that's going to have an effect on that. So I think Penn State's uh, content with Bo Prabula, and I think that that's something that they're going to move forward with. And I, I think the chances of then ending with one quarterback in this class are greater right now than, than ending with two. Yeah, and I, that, no one takes two quarterbacks this early in a cycle, and, and much less with no visits and, and, and the contact with Shirak. I think if we do see a second quarterback added, we're talking about that happening next year and maybe later in the year. And of course, say it again, Bo Prabula has plenty to prove himself as a pastor. We hope to have a chance to see that on the high school field this fall, but nothing is promised and nothing is decided yet here in Pennsylvania. By the way, by the time you do hear this podcast episode, speaking of the 2022 class, we'll have a story up on a couple of running back targets uh, that have surfaced uh, for Penn State and, and what a particular Penn State commit is doing to try to, to work his magic a little bit and get in their ear about the Nittany Lions for the 2022 cycle. A lot to like about that offensive class so far. Maybe it gets a little bit better if they can bring on uh, some top caliber running backs. Still looking, uh, well, maybe not even looking, but still without a running back in the 2021 cycle to this stage. Sean, you ready for some mailbag? Let's do it. All right. Uh, we're going to get into the first question right off the bat here. What would you set the over-under for average rating for the class of 2022? And what should they aim for regularly? As stated, Penn State off to a hot start in that cycle. Penn State at, uh, you, we go by the 24-7 sports composite. So we go average star rating 0.9099. There's going to be a lot of number reading in this segment, by the way, uh, for 2022. It's too early to make a determination of where they're at. I mean, they've got the three four stars uh, and then uh, Bo Perbula is kind of closer than you would think. He's, you know, he got a rating from rivals this week. His composite went up a little bit there. So you know, you're hanging out just above the four-star threshold. When you talk about composite rankings, uh, you know, we start them at 90 for the regular 24-7 sports rankings, but composite rankings is about uh, 89.5-ish in there. It's a lot of math. I'm not a math guy. It's a lot of math. Um, But, you know, you look at Penn State's average classes in the last uh, couple of years, right now sitting at a a eight-eight-six. Zero. Sorry, like I said, reading numbers. You're is better not off ignoring that decimal. You might, you might as well go 88.6, okay. 90.9. 88.6. That's probably better. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. For 2021, yeah. um, it's down a little bit from 2020, 89.54. 2019 and 2018, both kind of the peak of this, uh, of this rating structure. Uh, 9101 in 19, 9170 in 2018, and then a couple of 88s in, in, in 17 and 16. So what you're looking here for, and, and it's kind of not flawed, but it's kind of differing from our structure where you start at 90. So you kind of want to be right in that 89 range. Um, you want to have, you know, obviously looking back to the, uh, 2019, 2018 class, you want to have more four stars. You know, you want to have more stars. I mean, that's, 
stars do matter in, in terms of uh, long-term projections for, for success. And you want to be right around that 89 or above. And I think that there were some really, really good classes that, you, you know, you've gotten guys out of, uh, of lower rank classes, but at the same time, you know, you, you have more success. Penn State's at where they're, uh, is where they're at right now on the heels of classes that were, you know, right in the 90s. So I would say probably set it at 0.89 and just go above if we're going to go for an over under for a very good class. Ooh, you got that? Flashbacks to uh, pre-algebra, which is about as far as I made it in, in my math career. <laughs> no, that's a, a lot of numbers going on there. And, and as you said, that 1918, those back-to-back classes they signed, such a big reason why there was a lot of optimism about where this team in 2020 could go. Um, some folks viewed the 2020, you know, rankings-wise, a step back. Um, perception-wise, a step back. But as you said, early feedback, maybe don't discount that 2020 class for, from being a special one. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see where they go. 88.6, not exactly where you want to be, uh, for the 2021 cycle. Uh, you know, the names out there we talked about that could join the class. You're talking about a major bolster maybe for that, that, that number at the end of the day. Got it. Sean, thank thank you for handling the numbers. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Got to keep hitting on those, those top targets, the Ruchis, the Davises, things like that. And maybe, maybe get a a couple flips in late. The, the numbers, aren't going to uh, lean themselves to being a highly ranked in terms of uh, class ranking. Uh, really, you know, just if you're below 20, it's very tough to to sort of gain that uh, that momentum to get into the top 12 or whatever Penn State's been recruiting, right around where Penn State's been recruiting the last couple of years. So numbers will have to do that. But I do like going to the average average rating for this class, and that gives you a good idea of how you stack up with with sort of your peers in the in the college football recruiting world. Well, we finished off with some 2022 recruiting discussions, uh, plenty more coverage of that class and what's happening on the recruiting trail in general up on lines247.com. Uh, by the way, it's, it's through the end of August, 50% off for everyone who signs up as a new VIP subscriber. Um, that, that goes till the end of August. We've been trying to keep you informed on that uh, because recruiting doesn't stop, as though we are going to have to press pause a little bit on uh, following this Penn State roster and its development on the field, uh, the future continues to remain in the spotlight. And, and I like to think that we at 24-7 Sports and Lions 24-7 uh, do a, a better job than anybody else giving you a comprehensive understanding of, of how the Nittany Lions are hitting that recruiting trail. Most of that info is behind our VIP wall. So, again, half off for an entire year subscription uh, through the end of August. So that's my spiel. Um, drop a five-star review and rating and drop your question on for our five-star mailbag. We got a lot to get to with the mailbag in the weeks ahead and stay informed, of course, up on our website uh, when we're not talking to you on the podcast. We're usually typing things up on the message boards or, or getting some articles together. So anything else to, sh- to add, Sean, as we go from the wave of emotions from that Franklin uh, press conference to uh, pitching our VIP access for all of our great recruiting information? No, but we've got more. <laughs> I think that's really where we're going to lean on when we're um, not watching football this fall is as mm-hmm. a lot of recruiting stuff. I know Tyler's going to dive into. Yeah, that's yeah. your background. And you're going to dive into that a little bit more and we're going to get uh, all the recruiting coverage you can handle uh hopefully there's there's more good news on the horizon things have started off very well in the 2022 class and i think they will continue to move in that direction i think it's been a, a very pleasant start for penn state they're you know they're they're pleasantly surprised to be in the situation that they are but hey when you win as much as they've won it's nice to see some momentum it's nice to get going well stay with us here on lines 24 7 podcast back with a couple more episodes next week thanks for joining us this week on behalf of sean fitz I'm Tyler Donahue, wishing all of you well.